All right, well, we're going to wrap up this series today that we've called Ready for Anything. Ready for Anything. And today we're saying we're called to life. We've said we're called to a number of different things. Today we're talking about called to life. Now, every religious system, uh, you know, claims this promise of some future trouble-free existence or reality. Um, Eastern beliefs like Buddhism and Hinduism don't really seek a place a location as much as a, a state of being. Uh, Muslims and Jews, they're looking for more of a, a location, a place uh, for the afterlife. Um, Mormons have a, have a notion maybe of like levels and multiple kind of planets. Uh, atheists and nihilists, they're just hoping for nothing. They're really counting on that. Uh, the irreligious, so humanists, atheists, uh, communist, socialists, they want a heaven on earth. Their idea is that, that we could just, you know, it's really impossible, but this utopia of just, you know, human cooperation and, and, and uh, you know, ecological purity and thought uniformity, if we just get that, then, we, then we'd have a, like a pretty close to perfect world. Um, so by rejecting God and God's eternal justice, um, all they can hope for is a better version of this life. In some way, and then it's done when you die. As Christians, you know that that's impossible. As a believer in Jesus, as someone who trusts the Bible, you know that's impossible. Thanks to our sin nature. No matter how hard we try, no matter how good the rules and the laws are, we'll always mess it up because we're broken, sinful people. Um, you've probably seen the, the coexist bumper sticker. It's usually on a Prius. Um, Or maybe a Subaru. <laughs> I love my Prius friends and my Subaru friends. Um, I kind of like this one. Uh, contradict. All paths do not lead to one. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I thought that was kind of cool. I like this other one even a little bit better. Uh, you know that I've got, God's been stirring this heart and passion uh, for the unborn in my own life lately. Um, so you've got the little pro-life thing going on in there. Um, listen, as believers, we tell a different story than, hey, everything's going to all work out. Like, we're all just going to get along. We know that everything is temporary. Everything around you is temporary. Even your life, your body is temporary. But God's creation, get this, it's temporary, but it still matters. God's creation still matters. It still has value and worth and purpose. So both the temporal and the eternal creation of God matter. Other philosophies say the body's bad, but the spirit is good. Some say the spirit is nothing, the body is good. We say God, both, both are good. And both temporal and eternal are good. And so we look forward to heaven and we look forward to a new earth even while we enjoy this one. God's given you this earth to enjoy. Go enjoy it. Some of you haven't been out in the wilderness for a while. You need to get out there and enjoy it. All right. So why do we love this promise, this hope, this anticipation of a of a future that's perfect? Why do we ache for that? It's because our present is imperfect. We want the perfect future because we know that what we have now isn't good. 
Right? Why do we hope for a place of no more suffering and no more tears and no more crying? Because now we have suffering and tears and crying. There's a disconnect. There's a, there's a gap between what it is and what we know it should be. We know that this is not how God intended things to be. It's been spoiled by sin. And we ache for more. We ache for something better. So if you ever have that feeling of just somehow being a bit out of place, maybe homesick, uh, you know, just something's not right, it's because this world is not your permanent home. We used to sing songs about this in the past. We used to sing about heaven. Oh, Lord, you know, I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? Or I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun, right? Or... Or uh, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. We'll sing and shout the victory. I think some of the country singers are maybe a little bit more honest. Kenny Chesney sings, everybody want to go to heaven, but nobody want to go now. <laughs> all right. This book of Revelation that we've been in, full of hope, full of promise, full of praise and worship. But it's also sobering. It really kind of makes you kind of sit up in your chair. It's why so many of us are kind of afraid and intimidated by it. There's forecasts of opposition and persecution and even martyrdom. Many, it says, will be deceived by the by the devil and his his beings, his angels. Those who take on the beast's mark, whatever quite that's going to look like, are are going to be damned. I mean, we've got these just very chilling prophecies speaking of chilling are you cold or is it about right all right feels good right but there's also this amazing promise a faithful remnant will remain a faithful remnant will remain and you're invited to be a part of that but because of all that's to come we need this sense of our hope to come. We need this promise. And so I'm going to read Revelation chapter 21. First 10 verses and then 22 to 27. And chapter 22, 1 to 7. And I know you've been standing for a while, but if you're able to stand with me, I invite you to do that out of respect for the reading of God's Word. Revelation chapter 21. We're into the last two chapters of the Bible. I'm going to read this and then we'll make three comments about Eternal life. Revelation 21 begins like this. John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be His people. God Himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain and all these things are gone forever. Somebody say Amen. And one of the, and the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end to all who are thirsty. I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. But cowards, 
unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshippers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came to me and said, Come with me, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And so he took me in the Spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Come down to verse 22 with me. Verse 22, I saw no temple in the city for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon for the glory of God illuminates the city and the lamb, the lamb, its light. The nations will walk in its light and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there's no night there. And all the nations will bring all, bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then the angel showed me a river, verse chapter 22, showed me a river with the water of life clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there and his servants will worship him and they will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. And the angel said to me, everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God who inspires his prophets has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. And finally, verse seven, look, I am coming soon, Jesus says. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. Let's be seated together. We thank the Lord. For his word. Three comments about eternal life. Alright, we've come through, we've come through all the, the, the many uh, experiences, the suffering, we've c- come through the judgment of the devil and his, and his, uh, his servants. They've, they've finally been put away forever. We've come through a season of, of God's martyred ones ruling all over the earth. We've come through all that and now we get to this. And I would say this, first thing you need to know that eternal life is restoration. Eternal life is restoration, not escape. It's not escape, it's restoration. See, the world's philosophies and, and religions, they promise escape from this world. You're going to get it, even if it's just in your mind, but they always want you to escape, to go to some other place away from this world but god's ultimate plan is a new and better and perfect earth and a new heaven and cities that don't depend on sunshine by day and pg and e by night right it's a promise and it's an understanding and it's in our and it's our understanding our worldview that the earth even now is good even though it's corrupted and our bodies are good even though they're they fail us and they, they break down. Yeah, but you think, well, what we saying, don't we just die and go to heaven and we're just with Jesus? Isn't that what we, isn't that what we always say? Like, hey, I just, you know, you're going to die and go to be with Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter five says that we're looking forward to new bodies and a heavenly home. 
First Thessalonians 4 promises a day when Jesus will return. We call it the, the rapture, when Jesus will gather up to himself, both those that have died and those who are still alive and, and know him, to gather up and be with him. Jesus himself promised us, he said, I'm preparing a place for you. An expansive place. Jesus said, you could store treasure in heaven by your generosity. Now you can be prepared with eternal treasure that you will enjoy for all eternity. Some of you have put away massive amounts of treasures. You've been generous with people and with the work of the Lord. My understanding in scripture is that the believer who dies is in the Lord's presence immediately. Whether it seems immediate or is immediate, I don't know, because time is irrelevant at that point. But that's my understanding. But the final plan, once all the judgments have been passed, right? Once the devil is ultimately defeated, once everything is taken care of, and then it's like God sets the big reset button, creates a new heaven and a new earth. He says, okay, I am making all things New. Like really new. Like some of you got a new knee recently. Not that kind of new. Like, but actually new. Right? I, it's been kind of interesting this week as our electricians have been working in this building. Like, hey, we're getting new lights. Yeah, but he, they're like, yeah, but we're still working with the old infrastructure that can't be changed. Yeah. It's new-ish. The day is coming when he will make all things new. And it's going to be good. God's going to get us back to a perfected experience of what we already know. A a created earth, an actual place. The God-made holy city, the city of Jerusalem, which is God's holy people. And there's... No limits there. The gates are open and the light is on. It's a restoration to a perfect order. Not an escape from a broken one. Isn't that good? So how do you respond to that? I mean, what do you do with that? Okay, so eternal life is restoration, not escape. What do you do? You you make sure you're not clinging to the things of this world. Listen, you and I, we like stuff, right? You've heard me talk about cars. I, I, I enjoy, I, I, have a, I have a fun car. I love driving it. It's really, really fun, okay? But it's not going with me. It, it's just stuff. We don't want to cling to the things of this world. All of it's going to pass away. And God's going to create all things new. So I would just say, ready yourself for eternity. Make sure you're giving yourself to things that matter. Invest in things that are going to reap eternal reward. God's put a missionary on your heart. Help support them. You see a need of one of our local ministries? Get involved. You, you're so busy you don't have time. Clear your schedule so you can call that person that's been on your heart and just encourage them and Tell them you're praying for them. Whatever it is, invest your life in the things that are going to matter for eternity. 
Because eternal life is restoration, not escape from this world. I think the second thing I'd want to say about eternity is that eternal life is beautifully diverse. Eternal life is beautifully diverse. See, other philosophies attempt to erase our differences, to erase gender, to erase ethnicity, erase language differences, that, hey, we're just all going to be one big happy. But God's ideal is to bring your identity, your diversity to eternity. So your ethnicity, for example, is going to be recognizable in heaven. In God's eternal new future, new heaven and new earth, your your ethnicity is going to matter and your language is going to matter. And the heart language that you grew up speaking is probably what you're going to get to speak when you're there. You're not going to have to struggle in English anymore. Or if you're in English, you can you won't have to press two for Spanish. Like, you just speak English. Or maybe it's some heavenly language. I don't know, but you're, you bring your ethnicity. It's recognizable. It's diverse. We're told in... in uh, a couple of verses, 24, chapter 21, verse 24. The nations will walk in its light and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Verse 26, all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. What does that mean? That means we're bringing the, the beauty and, and, and creativity that God's placed in us. We bring that to the place of God's holy city. You bring their, the kings of the earth will bring their glory. What does that mean? Their, their fame, their recognition, their, their, their influence. And they're going to bring that all under the authority of Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We read back in earlier in Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 that, that we're going to see every people, every ethnic group, every language group worshiping before the throne. I, I, I'm so excited to just, you know, I love it when I stand, see one of the benefits I have of standing here at the front, I get to hear you all sing on a Sunday morning. But I can hardly wait till it's millions singing in every possible language. It's gonna be unbelievably awesome. No words could even really describe that. Some of you are gonna have a reunion with your loved ones. You're gonna like, it's done. No more pain, no more suffering. You know, I know we, I get really frustrated by the sort of cheap talk in our culture and social media and news and everything else. This word racist gets thrown around all the time. Oh, you're just a racist. It's a pretty cheap and easy way to shut down a conversation with anybody. Just start calling people names. But, but make sure you aren't one, really. Make sure you aren't. Keep turning your heart toward love for all people groups, all ethnicities, all languages. It's a beautiful thing and what you see now is a glimpse of it in its full dimension in heaven. How do you respond to that? If heaven is, eternity is about diversity, how do you respond? You choose to love the people around you now because you're going to be worshiping with them in heaven. So choose to love the ones around you now. One more thing I want to say about eternity, eternal life. Eternal life is wholeness. Eternal life is wholeness. 
John says in chapter 22, the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. And it flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. You've got this river, this beautiful river. My son Stuart and I on it was on Friday, we were up in Kings Canyon and we just saw that river just pounding down the Kings Canyon. It was just unbelievably gorgeous and almost kind of terrifying because it's just rushing so hard and fast. But where there's water, there's life. And where there's living water, there's eternal life. Maybe you can think about this as you drive through Fresno and the canals that flow around our city, that should be like a little reminder of heaven. You know, Fresno could remind you of heaven a little. It's going to be better than Fresno. Even better than Clovis. I don't live in Clovis. I haven't gotten there yet, but you know. Just think about that water's flowing down the center of the main street. The tree of life that God had placed in the Garden of Eden, it's there, it's, it, now it's multiplied and there's more than one. And those trees are there and they're available to anyone who needs them. Healing for the nations. The nations, friends, the nations need healing. There's so much conflict and brokenness and struggle. The nations need healing. This vision of the, of the healing river is, and, and healing trees is not new, not, not new to John's readers. Ezekiel 47 is one of my, probably my favorite passages in scripture. It talks about this river flowing. Ezekiel sees this river flowing from the, from the altar, from the temple, and it flows down and it's flow, makes its way all the way to the Dead Sea. And as it flows, it starts as a trickle and it gets deeper and deeper and deeper and finally gets so deep, it's only, you, you, the only way you could cross it is by swimming across it and it goes to the Dead Sea and it promises that it's going to bring life to the Dead Sea and that fish are going to swim in that de- the Dead Sea. Dead Sea has nothing in it right now but minerals. And that, that lively people are going to make their livelihood again out of there because living water is going to flow to that place. So these people had, had heard this promise before. God loves the nations. He really does. God loves the nations. You saw folks up here. We're going to be in the nation of Utah. It's kind of its own nation. Kind of its own nation. We're going to be in the nation of the Philippines, Thailand. Some of you come from Germany, Mexico. I'm just trying to look around right now and spot. You know what I mean? Like you come from all these places and God loves the nations. Iran, Ethiopia. Where's Dr. Teddy? Lebanon. Lebanon. Kazakhstan. (laughs) Even Canada. But every Canadian I know now is trying to get to the U.S. So what do you say about that? Right? But God loves even Canada. We could go on and on. I know I'm missing some. God loves the nations, but He hates our conflict. He hates our violence. And so the devil takes advantage of that. He uses war to steal and kill and destroy what God is creating, what God is doing. I am, I am, uh, you, you know, you know, if you've read stuff, you understand that the church in Iraq and the church in Syria have, 
have been devastated because of the wars that have taken place there. The devil used for evil. You know, what we were trying to do for good and help, the devil used for evil. Right now, I'm very concerned about Iran. In the nation of Iran, they're, they're saying there's an unprecedented move of God, that people are coming to faith like, like nowhere else in the world right now in the nation of Iran. Meanwhile, we're, rap, we're rattling our sabers about war with that nation. You need to pray for peace. You need to pray that we don't go there because it will devastate the church. And you devastate the kind of work that God is beginning to do there. China. I didn't mention China. Taiwan. Got those here in the room too. Sorry about that, you guys. All right. Verse 4 of 22 says, And they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. We will see his face. Exodus chapter 33, Moses is having this encounter with God. And, and Moses wants to see God, and, and God says, I, I can't do that. I can't let you do that. No one can see my face and live. But I will allow you to see my glory, God says. And Moses has that experience. But there's more to it than that. See, in a state of perfect wholeness, in the state of the new heaven and the new earth, we're promised we'll see God face to face. It's not going to be like it is now. I'm actually going to talk about that in a minute as we... Get into communion. I want to invite the worship team to join me back here on stage. Listen, if eternal life is wholeness, how do you respond? You respond by choosing to desire and pursue wholeness. That means those places in your life where there's brokenness, where there's unforgiveness, where there's unresolved uh, conflict between you and someone else, you go, you make a choice to resolve that. You make a choice to, to set those things right. You, you make a choice to forgive or seek forgiveness. If you owe somebody something, go make it right. If you've hurt someone with your words, go make it right. If you've cut someone off, if you've estranged yourself from someone, go make it right. God's desire is for wholeness in your life. You want to seek those opportunities so that you are readying yourself to meet Jesus. And there's place, ways in other places that you can, you know, pursue that participation now that's preparing you. So, for example, when we gather and we worship, we've talked a lot about this this summer, this, this series. When we gather and worship, like I've heard you this morning, I want you to participate, engage, bring your heart into it. Because it's part of letting God heal you. When you have the opportunity to, to be in a place that you're going to learn something new or you're going to grow, I want you to do that. Many of you are going to be able to make it to the People's Church uh, Pentecost worship and prayer healing service tonight at, at 6 p.m. That would be a good thing to do. Put yourself in those places where God can do more into your life. Eternity is about restoration, not escape. It's about a, a diversity, not not a, you know, erasing your distinctiveness. And it's about the wholeness that God wants to bring. I invite the deacons uh, just to prepare for communion. I'll say this now because I'll forget later if you need a gluten-free option, 
for communion. We do have that available and just give them deacons a little bit wave and they'll get that to you. I'm going to... Um, I'm going to pray in a moment, and then when I do, the deacons will come forward. They'll begin to pass those trays as I just want to make a couple of comments about communion and about Pentecost and how those things all go together. But church, I want you to be thinking, God, just taking this before the Lord. Am I preparing myself for eternity? Am I seeking wholeness? Am I seeking to make things right with people? Am I getting ready for, for what God wants to do? Am I anticipating God's restoration of all things? Recognizing there's a brokenness now that it's just we have to live with it for now. But we desire that wholeness that God has coming. Let's bow together in prayer. God, I just thank you that you're at work in our lives and our desires for the wholeness that you promise. And I pray that even now, Lord, you would be turning our hearts toward you in a, in a complete and full way. Lord, for anyone in this room that doesn't know you yet, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would today just come and say, Jesus, I yield to you, I surrender to you. I trust you to wash away all my sins and to make me right, to live in my heart so that I can follow you all my days. Lord, for those of us that have been just kind of drifting, doing our own thing, kind of ignoring you, it's time for us to get right with you. It's time for us to bring our whole heart back to you. Just invite you to do that in us. Thank you, Lord. Deacons, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and begin to pass the trays. I want to make just a few comments about communion. This weekend, it's Pentecost. Pentecost Sunday today. Pentecost weekend for, for Christians, for believers. Celebrates 50 days after, after uh, Easter, after Passover. It was the... It was for us, it's that we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. I read that to you earlier from Acts chapter 2. But for the Jews, this weekend is Shavuot, which was a harvest festival. But even more importantly, they celebrate the, the giving of the law, the receiving of God's law through Moses at Sinai. It's a big festival. It's a big celebration for them. I've got a picture here of, of, a, of a celebration from a couple of years ago. They, they'll have an all-night teaching all night church service, worship service, or gathering service and teaching from the law. They gather all night and in the morning they have a big celebration. They're celebrating the law. But here's the thing. The law was a blessing, but the law was burdensome. That's okay. I'll, I'll get later. The law was burdensome to them. It was impossible to keep. And so as God gave them the law. We most kind of notably summarize it in the Ten Commandments. The, the people responded and said, yes, we will do it. We're going to keep all the law. Deacons, you can go ahead and begin to distribute those trays. We're going to do it. We're going to keep all the laws. We're going to obey. That was their fatal mistake. That was their fatal mistake. They knew how tough it was. What they should have said is, God, we can't, we won't be able to. We're we're sinners. We can't keep your perfect law perfectly. If you break God's law in a little bit, you've you've broken it completely. 
There was a lot of drama, a lot of theatrics around the giving of the law. If you've, if you've ever read the Old Testament, read through Exodus, you know the story. They've, they've, they've come out of Egypt. They've, Moses has led them out of captivity and, in Egypt. And they, they come in the first obstacle is that they got the army behind them. They got to get across the, uh, the sea. And what are they going to do? And God parts the sea and they pass through and Pharaoh's army is drowned. And okay, we got through that. And they get to the, the mountain of God, Sinai. And there's, there's thunder and there's clouds and there's dramatic effects. And they're scared. They're terrified. And God says, don't, don't touch the mountain. Don't come close. Moses, you can come up here and your assistant Joshua, you can come up here. You can bring Aaron with you. You can bring some of the elders. But the low point there, So 3,000 people died. Moses had been on the mountain as he comes down with a lie. People were tired of waiting for him. He'd been up there a long time. Over a month. And they're like, he's not coming down. We gotta, we gotta do something about this. And Aaron was like, he was the main priest. He's like, you know, we gotta keep the people happy here. Let's, let's figure something out. Let's have a, let's have a party. And they, they, they created an idol and they worshiped that idol and, The judgment was swift. 3,000 people lost their lives that day. You want to compare that to Pentecost where at that celebration of the law when the Holy Spirit came, when God's grace was poured out instead, 3,000 people were saved. Those numbers aren't an accident. Exodus, though, chapter 24, has this stunning experience on the mountain. Moses, they've already been given the law. And God instructs Moses, he says, come up here to me and bring along Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of Israel's elders. All of you must worship from a distance. Only Moses is allowed to come near to the Lord. The others must not come near. And none of the other people are allowed to climb up the mountain. So Moses goes up and they, but then what happens? He, he, Moses makes a sacrifice and And verse 8 says, Moses took the blood from the basins and he splattered it over the people, declaring, look, this blood confirms the covenant the Lord has made with you in giving you these instructions. And Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel climbed up the mountain. And there they saw the God of Israel. God in His grace allowed them to see Him. Remember God said, no one can see me and live. And under his feet, there seemed to be a surface of brilliant blue lapis lazuli, as clear as the sky itself. And though these nobles of Israel gazed upon God, he did not destroy them. In fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in his presence. And then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain, stay there. And I'll give you the tablets of stone on which I have scribed the instructions and commands so you can teach the people. And then Jesus sat on the night he was betrayed. Before that happened, he sat with his followers, his his disciples, and he said, you guys pass this bread around, take some, eat. This is my body that's broken for you. Do this to remember me. Too often we do this to remember our sins and our shortcomings and our failings. Do this to remember me. And in the same way, he passed the cup. He said, this 
cup is, is my blood and it represents the new covenant. Not a covenant of law, but a covenant of grace. Not saved by what you do, but saved by what Jesus has done. And that's what we do right now. You've just been given a cup. It's double cupped underneath is your little piece of bread. Tiniest piece of bread you'll ever have. Teeniest little cup of juice you'll ever have. They're just symbols so powerful to remind you, friends, your best effort will never be good enough. But when you say, Jesus, I've trusted you for the forgiveness of my sin and for eternal life with you, the bread reminds you of that. The blood seals that covenant as it did for those elders on the mountain. Friends, take the bread, the remembrance of Jesus, and the cup, the remembrance of his covenant over you. Lord, we just thank you for what you've given to us. Jesus, thank you that you willingly, you obeyed your Father, you went to the cross, and you suffered for us. We love you so much. We entrust our lives to you. We trust our past to you, our present and our future. And we thank you for the restoration to come. In the name of Jesus, amen.